welcome to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Good morning, Black Lake listeners. We're back with another episode, and I have a special guest. Um, His name is Walter Dunn, and he has a passionate story about uh, experiencing wrongful conviction in Florida and how that propelled him to become an advocate, a, a fierce advocate to change the criminal justice system and to educate people on how they can free themselves. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Walter Dunn. Good morning, Miss Cobb. You know, it's a it's an honor and a pleasure to to be on your broadcast, to be able to speak about injustice, to educate the people. You know, it's so important that we get good information out to our community, our our people that follow us, because a lot of times we go down wrong paths because we're not educated enough. You know, I'm I'm real big on education, but I'm grateful to be here and you know, I'm looking forward to this to this interview. Thank you so much, Walter, for just coming on, just reaching out to me and and being willing to come on and share your story all the way from Florida. So let's get into your story. Can you provide us a brief overview of the circumstances that led you to your wrongful conviction in Florida? Yes, absolutely. You know, my story is different from a lot of people because a lot of people say when they go to prison or they go to jail, you know, the consensus is, is that I'm not guilty. You know, you hear that. Everybody that once who is incarcerated always says, well, I'm not guilty of this crime or I'm not. And a lot of times when you are a minority and you go through the justice system, you have it harder. You know, it's, it's proven statistical facts that, you know, there is a book by Elijah Anderson called Code of the Streets, where he talks about, you know, the system keeping minorities, a class of people down. Meaning that, you know, we want you to go through the system. We want you to continue to have that reoccurring cycle. And it's so true. And I never thought that the color of my skin would be a contributing factor to the outcome of my case. In 2009, I had everything going for myself. Homeowner, college educated, working at a university, community activist, coaching Little League Baseball in our community. You know, I just had all around life. And in one night I got into a fight. And from that fist fight. You know, I was accused of five felonies for the first time in my life, and I got arrested and went through the justice system and nothing I could do could prove my innocence. It was my word, literally versus two other people's word. And Florida here, and I, I think I explained this to you offline, Florida has a 98% conviction rate. So if a person is arrested here in Florida and when they go through the justice system, they're going to be a conviction somewhere for them, whether you get a DUI or it's a, a high felony, such as a murder, you're going to get convicted of something. And I never knew that at the time of going through my circumstance. I didn't plea out for what the prosecutors were asking for. They're asking for 15 years, Florida State Prison. When I refused to plea out for something I didn't do, you know, they upped my plea offer to 22 years. So the pressure was definitely on to you know, go to prison. No, that's what we call trial penalty. When you, right. you know, you decline the plea and then you decide to say, well, I got my right to go to trial and have 
a 12 or a six man jury decide, you know, whether I'm guilty or innocent, then they want to give you a trial penalty and, and stack charges against you. Right. You know, and um, I understand it now because I'm more legally savvy, but that was the first time I was ever arrested in my life. That was the only time I have ever been arrested in my life. So as a first time person going through the justice system, I'm confused. I'm lost. You know, I'm crying for help. You know, I'm, my family's paying attorneys and trusting in them to do the right thing. And it seemed like everything that I put up against the justice system just not would just not work for me. And the only thing I could do is fight for my innocence. And I took the state of Florida to trial. I didn't become a statistic and plea out. You know, I felt like if you keep telling me prison, prison, prison is the only thing that is going to come from the situation and not really sorting out the facts or what happened. then I was going to make you, you know, have to really pin me to the bat and just have to, you know, make me go. You know, I'm not signing no plea. offer. I wasn't that guy that says, you know what, I'm going to sign a plea offer to go to Florida State Prison. Right. You know, I didn't do these crimes. I'm, I'm saying I didn't do these crimes. You know, I don't have a legal mind at the time to prove it, but I want to trial. I went to trial. I lost. You know, I beat one charge at trial. I lost. And 30 days later, I was sentenced to 27 years. So tell us what that experience was like being, you know, a family man working, never being involved with the criminal justice system to going to prison and being faced with all of these charges when you know for a fact that you had nothing to do with what they were accusing you of. It was a culture shock. You know, you know, it's the best way to explain it to people. You know, I was a upstanding citizen. You know, I used to, you know, be honest with you, I used to look down at people who used to get arrested. Like, you know, what's wrong with their life or why are they in and out of the system or can they leave the drugs alone? Like my whole perspective was, you know, this is a group of people that, you know, just does, just doesn't want to live life correctly or do the right things or be responsible. And when I went to prison, you know, it just changed me. It 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 unclothed who I was as a person, as my soul. And when I went to prison, it was all about survival. It was the first three years of my incarceration when I do my speaking. You know, I explained how difficult that was. You know, you have to learn to survive. You have to learn to defend yourself. You have to learn to, you know, get along with the prison life, whether it be from staff or from inmates. And it was just a very difficult time for me and for my family. You know, I, I started experiencing mental breakdowns. I was confined. I was placed in a place that I didn't want to be in and there was no way I could get out of that place. And the time that they had gave me was 27 years. So I was handed that sentence in 2012. So if you do quick math, 2012 plus 27 years, you know, you're going to be gone for to the 30s. You're, you're going to be gone for a very long time. And, you know, thinking about how old my family would be, how old my children would be, people were passing away on me. You know, it was just a very difficult thing to, to mentally accept. And, you know, I, I have empathy for the families who go through the justice system and lose. I know what that feeling's like. I, I recall looking over, looking at my mother, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to the justice system to fight for my innocence, to watch lawyers, you know, uh, not take my life seriously and just, I became another paycheck. And, and yeah, and see, that's, that's the thing because a lot of people who aren't directly impacted don't, like, they don't think about those things. They don't think that that could happen to them. And so sometimes it is a life changing event when you actually experience it because you're like, hey, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to as an upstanding citizen to stay away from that system. And then it comes and it just grabs me because of the color of my skin. And so that's what a lot of people are currently experiencing in America. The fact that 
And I think we got to take people back to the fact that this is all modern day slavery. So once they got rid of chattel slavery, they was like, all right, we still got to find a way to keep booming our economy. So that's when they started coming up with the prison industrial complex to keep people incarcerated, whether you committed a crime or not. Prosecution finds some way to drug up some evidence to, you know, prove that you are supposedly proven that you are guilty of that crime. But people need to understand a courtroom is, is a TV show. Whoever goes in there and puts on the best defense or the best show that wins jurors over, because I got to remember, jurors are just lame people like we are. They don't know nothing about the law. They're just coming in, deciding on somebody's life when they know absolutely nothing about the law besides what the jury instructions give them. And a lot of those jury instructions can be racist. I don't think people understand that. A lot of the jury instructions can be racist, and they're based off of what the court wants you to judge to see if this person is guilty or not guilty. And so it was just a modern way to... <sighs> massively incarcerate people to keep America's economy going, because that's really all it is. It's just slavery work. It went from chattel to then industrial prison complex. And that's why we have so many people in America that's incarcerated. You know, I'm real big on statistics. You know, I, I, I tout myself as a researcher. You know, a lot of people don't understand that we have more people incarcerated, 2.2 million people in the, in the United States. We have more people incarcerated now than we did in the slavery time. So United States definitely does a good job of locking people up for all types of crimes. Some of them they did. Some of them they have been overcharged. And then there's a portion of them that the people just didn't commit. And this can be proven. You know, I, I posted on my LinkedIn a couple of days ago or maybe a week ago that there is two people sitting in the courtroom every single day that's waiting a wrongful conviction. That's a proven fact. That's the statistics. That's we can look that up and prove that, OK, we normally send people to prison who is completely innocent. And it happens, you know, all over the courtroom Monday through Friday. But what people miss, you know, prison is just such a touchy subject with Americans, you know, because they have the, the, the connotation of thinking if this guy is going to prison, he's guilty. You know, he belongs in prison. You know, he deserves it going do his time. So now because of what I've been through, you know, I went through the justice system and like I told you, Ms. Cobb, for the first three years, I was, uh, you know, mentally checked out, you know, just trying to survive. It was no longer about society. It was about, you know, trying to sur survive in an environment I have no blueprint for, mm -hmm. you know, and it was very difficult. But in prison, you know, I had a, a life altering, I, I could say premonition, you know, just a calling in my story and i was told that hey you know you're the smartest on our, our prison compound why don't you learn the law and when that seed was planted it took me from out of the prison life to let's go research the law and then i became obsessed with how did i lose trial how did how did the state of florida convict me what was necessary for them to hold up uphold a conviction on me did the juries get it right and I just became obsessed with learning the law and there's nothing I wanted to do more when I was incarcerated than read law books. I read, you know, most people get books sent to them. I was in the law, law library reading law books. I was educating myself and then I became a state certified law clerk where the prison system recognized that I had enough legal education to give me a certification to let me know that 
you do enough law, you understand enough law, you recite enough law that, you know, we can certify you as a law clerk. And then what that entails is that I became the jailhouse lawyer. I became the guy who people would get sentenced to prison, bring me their case and say, hey, I think something is wrong. Can you find it? And, you know, if you ever like putting puzzles together, it's like putting a puzzle backwards. Like you see the picture and you're looking for pieces to what's going to make this picture clear. And that's how I started to learn the law. I had some pretty good people that, you know, were able to teach me some good skill sets. And from there, I just developed a, uh, an ability to find the missing puzzle piece. And, you know, I was getting people released from incarceration. I was changing people's, you know, prison sentence. I was changing people's sentences and who was actively on the street. You know, I was, I just became like a powerhouse lawyer. And then, you know, I decided and I felt comfortable enough that I'm going to look at my own case. I'm going to apply it to my own self that, you know, you're helping all these other people, but what about you? And yeah. then it just became a, the obsession level became like, like it, it just magnified. And I'm just so grateful for education. You know, this is why I like going around speaking to universities to, to reach out to all the criminology departments across the United States. I like going to their universities, speaking to their college students who focus on law because I'm able to teach them something that they can't find in the in, in the textbook. I'm able to teach them something and, and motivate them where I am the face of injustice. I am the person who who the, the system got it wrong. And if it wasn't for my education, I wouldn't be free here today. I would still be in prison. I told you in 2012, I got sentenced to 27 years. I would still be currently incarcerated if it wasn't for my determination and my resilience to learn the law. And when I go and speak to these students, you know, I like putting my story and I have a, an awesome slideshow. I put it on and then they get a chance to see me like prior to incarceration. They get to see me get a sentence in incarceration. You know, I have photos um, from me in prison with my certification for my law, my law education. And then you see me walk free and it's just uh, an amazing story. You know, I since I have been home, I did get a chance to publish, you know, uh, my story is called Through Innocent Eyes. You know, it's it's a courtroom, you know, explains everything. It's a beautiful story. You know, people can go to my website, uh, www.walterdunn.com and they can buy my story and read exactly what took place. And it's just it's just a beautiful ending to what the justice system has done to me. And because of me going through the system, when I got my sentence overturned, I understood in that moment I had clarity that there are so many people who go through the justice system just like me, uneducated. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe your family has paid lawyers and entrusted in them to to safeguard you and bring you home. But the average family just doesn't know what it's like to go to the justice system, nor do they understand the financial burden it puts on the families. So then I had another thought and I said, you know what, Walt, you've gotten a couple people free. You've changed hundreds of people's situation legally. You need to do something for the people. You know, a lot of people say, hey, I'm a stand up guy, you know, but if it's not about you, how can you help the people in a mass, in a mass, in a mass way? So then, you know, I produced another book. It's how to navigate through the criminal justice system. You know, in this book right here, let me see if you can see it. This book right here, you can go to my website too, and it's it's affordable for every family. You know, I made this how to navigate through the criminal justice system for $50. So anybody who is going through the justice system who has just been arrested, who has they're sitting in a county jail, they're sitting in prison, they're on probation, 
anybody in any step of the way who is currently going through the justice system can have a blueprint guide on how to bring their family home. So the question becomes now, how much does it cost you not to know? You can buy the book for 50 bucks, educate yourself, know what motions are available for you to file and how to get it done yourself. Or you can pay the lawyer $10,000 and a trust in him that he'll walk you through the step. See, a lot of people go through the justice system, but have no way of holding the a lawyer accountable. So I pay you the money. I don't know what you can file. I don't know what's available for me. I'm just trusting you because they say you have a good name and you know the judge. And because you went to law school. Because you went to law school. So I send books all over the country. That book right there, How to Navigate to the Criminal Justice System, is the Department of Corrections uh, recognized. So, you know, it gets sent to the prison. Family members who have loved ones incarcerated that want to take a second look at their case. I have families that reach out to my website, people that, you know, message me through my social media outlets to buy the book. And then I have my vendor send it to wherever the person is incarcerated. It sends, I send them to the family homes, wives and husbands who are at home, wanting their loved ones to come home. Usually they get the book, they read it. I'm um, accessible where they can reach out and ask me questions. So you, I try to take a real hands-on approach to helping people. And if it's saving one family at a time, you know, I feel like I'm doing the lowest work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what I say. And that's what my goal is, too, is to go back to law school and be able to provide services. Because like you said, there's so many people who are incarcerated for crimes that they didn't commit or just incarcerated because they've experienced a lot of trauma in life and just didn't know how to handle it and ended up, you know, in the cycle of incarceration. But yeah, like there are so many people who literally spend their life savings on an attorney to either save them pre-trial or to get them out post-conviction. And in North Carolina, I'm hearing a lot of people have paid lawyers 30 or more thousand dollars and their loved one is still not out or they haven't filed, you know, the important motion paperwork or they didn't go find the evidence. And so you're spending your life savings with somebody that you think is going to help you get your loved one out. And then they're still sitting in there two or three years later. You know, Un understand this. The system is designed to once the person is convicted of a crime to keep you, mm -hmm. you know, let's make that a fact. So if you are currently incarcerated and you're going to prison, you're going to the Department of Corrections in any state, the system is designed that once we got you convicted, whether you took a plea or a lost trial, we're going to do everything we can to keep you incarcerated. So the the number of people who get their cases overturned or convictions overturned, it's not a lot. It's mm -hmm. very small compared to the 2.2 million people that we have currently incarcerated. So when I just started learning the law, you know, I just I I found a skill set of saying you have to not only find the missing piece, but what happened to the people who are time barred. And what time bar means is that a person has been incarcerated for a, a number of years and they've exceeded the years of limitation that the court system allows them to file their motions. And a lot of people don't understand that. You know, you hear these guys, they come back after 25 years and get their case overturned. Yes, those are scenarios and there are ways. But I, I developed a skill to say you have to find missing pieces and then I can show you how to plug and play them where you can get back in there and skip the hurdle of the time barriers. But, you know, it's just there's so many things that need to change with the system. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think a call of action needs to happen. I think people need to be made aware. The 2.2 million people that's currently incarcerated, we're talking probably about 4 million people, family member wise, that are incarcerated with them. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, these people are currently behind the gate, but their families are in mental incarceration as well. So you're looking at probably a total of six million people that's incarcerated because I can assure you, if you have a loved one that's incarcerated, that family member is driving to the prison on the weekend. That family member is sending commissary money. That family member is doing everything they can to try to keep that person mentally stable and support them. So they're incarcerated too. But my my job and my advocacy is to make a way for them to, to come home. And that's why I produced the book. And that's why I made it affordable. You look on Amazon or you look on online, you're not going to buy a legal book from under $300. You're not. Right. So, you know, I want to make it accessible to where every family can afford it and get the information that I use to, to bring myself home. So can you tell us what evidence factors ultimately led to your innocence? Are you overturning your conviction? No problem. So I was I was convicted of crimes that the state of Florida had no evidence on. So if my case came down to a your word versus my word. And like you said earlier, Miss Cobb, whoever presented the best story, that's what get the job done. And my my defense lawyer did not highlight the evidence. He went in there and just litigated. Uh, you know, this man. Did he suppress anything? Excuse me. Did he suppress anything? Some of them don't suppress a lot no, of. No, no suppression of evidence. No, no motion to suppress. You know, there was no pretrial motions filed. You know, so. <laughs> As a first-time person, we didn't know these things. So, you know, it was like, okay, we went to trial and he put on his best script. They put on their best script and our script lost and off I went. And, you know, it's just so the book will teach you all about the motions that you need. But, you know, I lost. And then what happened was when I became learning the law, I started understanding that, you know, if you don't have the evidence to support the conviction, it's a beautiful way to challenge it. You know, you have to, you know, challenge it in a way where when the judge reads this motion or when the state reads this motion, they got to have a good response to explain why you're currently incarcerated when the evidence doesn't support the conviction. Right. And when I was able to understand that piece and then when I was able to highlight and exploit that piece. You know, the, the wheel started to turn and then the momentum started to turn, you know, and it took me nine years to walk back into a Hillsborough County courtroom and get my conviction overturned. It took me nine years. You know, I went to prison first three years where we chalk it up as a loss because I just wasn't mentally stable, trying to survive, trying to get in ship from prison to prison. But once I became law certified, once I became obsessed with my case, you know, it, I mean, it just started to move from there and I started to be able to be a good writer. You know, a lot of people can read law, but a lot of people can't write law. And you have to articulate in a way where you challenge the state and push them in a corner where there's no re rebuttal that they can give you. And once I understood how to do that on other people's cases, you know, I, I felt extremely comfortable to do it for mine. And then I was able to um, have a doctor come back and testify at my uh, evidentiary hearing that what they accused me of was physically impossible. And when this man, this was a uh, 20, uh, not 27, excuse me. This man was a, a 30 year medical emergency room doctor. You know, he put his reputation on the line. He put his career on the line. He came back and said, what you have accused him of is physically impossible. And it's so impossible that I could teach this as an adjunct professor at the university he teaches at. And when he was able to give this compelling testimony nine years later, you could see in the courtroom, you could see it in the judge's face, you could see it in the prosecution's face that, you know, we, we got him wrong and 
You know, this man been serving time for a crime he didn't commit. And after the testimony happened in that courtroom, you know, um, he saved my life. And a lot of times when I'm doing my speaking engagements, I tell people he was my lifeguard. You know, I was a uh, I was stranded at sea. The shores of injustice had took me very far. You know, I was out there, you know, and I'm trying to swim to freedom. And this man, he he came and got me. You know, he rescued me. He he swam through the rigorous currents of injustice and, and brought me home to freedom. You know, he pulled me out of those trenches and, you know, he's became a lifelong friend. You know, he's on all my social media platforms. He supports me in everything that I do. You know, it's just a beautiful story that, you know, you still have people that will come back and do the right thing. You know, yes. He had the he had the you got to think about a, a medical room emergency physician, a doctor who's an adjunct professor. He put his career on the line for me. You know, you're going back and, uh, you know, you're standing up for somebody that's incarcerated and you you know, he put his livelihood on the line for me so I could be free. Because he knew that, you know, you were innocent and there are still people out here that will do the right thing. It's not too many, but there are. <laughs> it's not too many. But, <laughs> you know, when he did this, you know, I felt the sense of purpose that, you know, his hard work and what he sacrificed for me and put online for me couldn't go in vain that I needed to be a guy where I could pull other people out of the system. You know, that often reminds me of the Harriet Tubman story. You know, Harriet mm -hmm. Tubman, you know, if people really read her, her story, you know, she did something inconceivable. You know, once she obtained her freedom, she went back and started freeing other people, mm -hmm. even risking her lives and lives of others to pull people out of slavery, people mm -hmm. out of the confinements that she once set in. And I understand that story more, more personable than anybody. So what I do is I find cases or I still help out and I still do research and I try to help people bring their family to safety. You know, I, I would say my main social income is selling, selling my books. So many people want to read my story. So many people want the how to God because they feel like the how to God may be finally the educational piece that's missing to bring their loved one home. And, you know, I ship books, you know, daily. And then I use the proceeds from the books to usually fly out to universities to speak. So, you know, it's just a reoccurring cycle. And that's how I live my life. That's my passion. You know, I try to board a plane every other week to go to a university or go to nonprofit organizations across the country and tell my story and sell my books and educate those families and communities who have suffered. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's where my heart lays at. This is this is my passion. Yeah. And it's, it's very important, especially the education piece, because the nonprofit that I work for, we actually just held a CLE training for the upcoming lawyers. And we did it focused towards trauma informed to let them understand that you have to be more empathetic to your client. You can't just be like, hey, I'm just here to, you know, work your case. You have to be empathetic and really understand what they went through and what brought them to you know, the grips of the justice system so that you can defend them because that's what a lawyer is. They're advocates. They're supposed to be a true advocate and stand up for you because you don't really know anything about the law. And a lot of them just take it as it's just a job. It's not, you know, I'm here to save this person's life because that's what it is. What it boils down to is you are there to save that person's life to make sure that they're not wrongfully convicted or over sentenced or punished for going to trial. But they don't do that. You know what I'm saying? So trying to get these upcoming lawyers to understand that you have to be a lot more empathetic. You have to truly be an advocate. You have to understand what your client is going through. And I know that it is a lot, but you also have to take care of yourself as well, because it can't be overwhelming trying to, because you're bringing yourself that trauma on you as well. 
And I feel it because I'm an advocate and I work with every, a lot of people that's incarcerated. That's my realm. It's just working with people incarcerated and really keeping them uplifted. And that's why I created this space so that they could tell their story because not only are we wrongfully convicted, but there's many other ones in North Carolina and across the state that are wrongfully convicted that never had a chance to tell their story. The only story you've heard or you heard on the Guilty. news. Guilty. Yeah. And we know the news and that side's going to put out what they want you to know, not the true facts. And that's why America has been so blinded when it comes to criminal justice, because they try to make it seem like, oh, we got to be tough on crime. And this is the way to make people be held accountable for their actions. Incarceration, the way that America does it, will never be a deterrent from crime. It will never get to the root cause of why that person, if they really truly committed that crime, committed that crime, period. You know what I'm saying? I agree. You know, suppression is real. You know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that your voice is never heard again. And we're going to give you a lengthy sentence to to bury you. And think about all the people that, you know, you see it every day, wrongfully conviction, DNA overturns case. You can't repair somebody's life. You can't. You can't. You can't give them back wanted, and you can't. Yeah, you can't replace years off a person's life. But what I do, Ms. Cobb, is especially here in the Tampa Bay area, I fight hard for our juveniles. When I was incarcerated, you know, I seen so many children come to prison, 14, 15, 16 years old, 17 years. They committed a crime or that's what the state says they committed a crime. But there was no alternate plan for them. You know, this is a child with an adolescent's mind that may have made a decision and hasn't had a, 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 a an adult form mind to fully comprehend what took place. And so many of them were being brought to the prison system. So, you know, one of the big things that I told myself I would do once I'm, I'm free is to advocate for our juveniles that, you know, there needs to be programs. There needs to be turns. There needs to, and I also always say this, that, you know, anybody could put out a forest fire. It takes smart people to prevent them. You see the wave of how our children are being raised. Everything is social media, this, social media, that. You can't take a child off of social media today. You go into any restaurant, their head is down, they're locked into their phone, they're 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 doing everything they can. All those days of playing kickball and running the streets, and that, that's over with. Now I mean they're 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 sending messages on Instagram and all this other stuff. So, you know, I try to work with city officials to give our children a true outlet, you know, to use their mind and their talents versus allowing them to be idle and find crime, you know, and that's what I go after. You know, I also go after making sure that juveniles get a fair shake in the justice system once they are caught in the system. But, you know, I, I, I try to prevent it. You know, I do my best to speak out. You know, that's why I like going to the, the high schools, the colleges, because these are our children that need to be protected because once they get a hold of the justice system, they're just another number. And there'll be another sentence. But the thing about it that people misunderstand is that there are generational cycles that occur in people's life. There are mm -hmm. generational curses that happen in people's life. And that is so real. And it's something that, you know, my pastor talks about at church that if we can't break the cycle with you, if the father or the mother cannot break the cycle, that demon is going to be passed on to their child. You know, mm -hmm. and, and if they're not strong enough to fight it and break that cycle, that trait is going to be passed down to their child where that's what the child knows so then you often see the mom and or you see the dad and the son in prison or you see the mom you know living a lifestyle and now she's educated her son how to live the lifestyle now they're both incarcerated mm -hmm. and then the cycle just comes repeatedly because that's all they know and you have to push people to let them know that that's not life 
because once they're incarcerated, they're going to think about the decisions that they made. They're going to be thinking about the life that they're missing and they're going to want to break the cycle, but it may be too late. So a lot of things is taking these children off the streets, taking the guns out of their hands, telling them that selling drugs is not the way and put more education. Florida leads the nation, Ms. Cobb, and sending juveniles to prison. So you Google this right now on your, on your computer. Florida will send more juveniles to prison than sending them to college. So I this is the way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think now it's starting to just tick up in all states where you're starting to see juveniles become more and more incarcerated. Because I mean, really, if you think about it, we're warehousing a range of people. We're warehousing the baby, the young, the middle age, and now the elderly. Because Florida, North Carolina, all of them now have a, a prison population of elderly people where you're having to put palliative care into your prisons because you're aging people in prison instead of let so we're beginning to warehouse communities now it's not just you know the older people or the younger people it's all ages that are starting to be warehoused in prison and communities are broken down and so that's why i love when i work with emancipate because we are trying our best to go into the communities and the thing is restorative justice healing that's what communities need in order to break the generational curse, especially if you're in a black or brown or poor community. In order to break that curse, you have to start healing your ancestral trauma that you experienced prior, which is your generational trauma. And that is the way to start healing the community so that we are keeping our kids off the street, so that we aren't making uninformed decisions that lead to consequences and possibly lead us to prison or that we're not even caught up in that system because we're not calling the police. We're able to de-escalate our own situations without calling the police because every time you call the police, it exacerbates it. And then you, you have a chance of going to jail or prison. So just teaching your community that we have to start healing one another, not be against one another, but heal one another is the way to keep us away from the system. I agree. I just dropped on my LinkedIn post uh, about, the juveniles, the minorities be arrested nine times faster than their counterparts. That's not a statistic that I made up. That's a statistic that's from the Vero Institute is, is putting out yes. that says this is true numbers. You know, uh, minorities are being arrested nine times faster than their counterparts. You know, so I wrote an article to the police, the police officers about how they police. You know, can they can I encourage them to police differently? Can I encourage them instead of going around trying to catch people, maybe go into communities and offer who you are, let them know that you're working in that area, that you're there for support or, you know, not only are you there to uh, arrest crime and to prevent it, you know, which we we support and advocate for that. We want to have safe communities, but we are so far removed from the days where police officers used to be known by name. Where they used to come in our community and you say, oh, that's such and such, you know, he's a good guy, you know, he keeps our neighborhood safe. You know, those days need to, to be brought back because we were the police, the community and the policing were together. They worked together to keep the drama down, the, 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 the violence or the things that were occurring in our community down. And, you know, we're asking all sides. We're asking juveniles to get better. We're asking adults to get better. Why not ask the justice system to get better? Why not ask the police to, to get better? You know, we need all hands on deck. We're trying to improve the justice system. It, it's not going to take one person or one group of individuals to make it better. We collectively need to make it better so we can look at all sides of things. Sometimes police officers are making arrests with no factual basis or evidence to support the arrest. So it, it, it could start with you.
you know, you've been called or something that's transpired and you're there. Uh, officer needs to know I am going to write on this report what I'm arresting you for. Is there evidence to support the, the arrest right there? You were the first line of defense. So mm -hmm. if you said, hey, this person broke into this house and you don't catch the person at the house, nor do you collect evidence that support he broke into the house, nor do you catch, you know, fingerprints or anything else, you know, why is an arrest being made? You know, if you don't have the if you don't have the evidence, nor do you have an eyewitness videotape or anything else to support this person breaking into the house, you can, we got to get past taking people's words for arrest because often often what happens and it happened in my case, I got arrested with no evidence. I had two people say, "Hey, he, he committed these crimes," and that was good enough. Yeah, and not only was it good enough, it sent me to prison. That's what sent my ass to prison. Yeah, it, it, it sent it sent me to prison. So. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that they said that was used in my case, they they ran the evidence and nothing matched me. You know, I have the I have the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the FDLE report that shows that everything that they said I used in my case was was ran through the system and nothing matched me. Yet you, let, you and this is how I try to explain it to to lawyers and judges when I when I get a chance to get in front of them. In life, you have my version, you have your version, and then you have the truth. Mm -hmm. In law, you have your word, my word, and the evidence. So you can tell a story and say, I snatched this iPhone off of the counter at 7-Eleven. I'm going to tell you, no, I didn't snatch the cell phone off of the counter at 7-Eleven. The evidence should support what story is true. true. Yep. So if you got a, a videotape of me snatching the evidence, uh, snatching the phone off of the counter, then you know the person who said I snatched it, their version is true. But if you don't have that videotape, nor do you have the fingerprints from that iPhone that has been collected, nor do you have an eyewitness that says I was standing behind him, he snatched that case, then you got you to go with the evidence because the evidence will always tell you the truth. And in my case, when they reviewed the evidence after I had been incarcerated, that's what set me free. So, you know, and a lot of times what happens in the justice system is, you know, you'll go to court Monday through Friday and you stand in court one day. You see that the judge is just reading through the docket with such and such case, but never do the judge or the state attorney present that we have the physical evidence to support the charge. And that's where a lot of people are incarcerated for because the evidence does not support the conviction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't support it. You don't have the fingerprints, a videotape. I mean, you have nothing to support a conviction but somebody's word. And it's just not good enough. And that's what overturned my case. You had evidence supported that I didn't commit these crimes. It was proven in the courtroom. You know, the, the judge overturned my conviction. But I thought about how many families are are, are there sitting in prison um, that don't have the evidence to support their conviction. It's just I mean, it's sad. It's sad. I can send you. I can say, Miss Cobb, you. You uh, you did something right now and if the police want to go make arrest. They could because they have a witness saying that. But if there's no mm -hmm. physical evidence to support conviction, mm -hmm. you know, there's thousands of people sitting incarcerated right now with no physical evidence. Right. And, and even if you do have physical evidence, we've come to find out that 
a lot of times the prosecution will make up evidence or they will have an expert witness come in and lie about a pay a witness. Yes, you see what I'm saying? And a pay witness. The supposed DNA they found or the supposed bite mark that they found. And oh, now here's a better one. Here's a better one. If you don't come and testify against him, we're gonna arrest you. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And now we're finding out about junk science where a lot of this stuff that they say is 99% accurate, it's not. There's there's mishandle of, of the DNA evidence. There's sure. just you know what I'm saying? So that a lot of things that we were told, you know, as citizens, when we're talking about the criminal justice system, that's why we were so blinded because we're thinking, oh, well, this ex they're experts, so they know everything. And, oh, this DNA came back. So that's got to be accurate. You know what I'm saying? And that's not even the case at all. It happens every day in the courtroom. But what do we do to prevent them? You know, one, we need to educate the people. We need to make them aware that if this happened, like the when the Me Too movement came out, I was incarcerated. And the cliche of it was, you got sentenced to prison with no evidence? Me too. You know, so there was a, a criminal Me Too movement going on. People were literally saying, well, look, I'm here with you. I'm sleeping next to you. What are you talking about? It happened to me too. And it's just sad. It's a tragedy. But, you know, I felt that I was smart enough to educate myself and, and, and self-teach myself law and i will be forever grateful for being pushed in that direction because you know it ultimately landed my freedom and one of the things that i'm i'm trying to do right now is i'm trying to get back into the prison system where i can tell my story to the incarcerated people you know i've already applied for my fingerprints and have gone through the process of trying to get back into the prisons but my ultimate goal is not only do I speak to the students at the universities, I need to be able to go around to the prisons around our country to tell my story because there's going to be a child or a loved one that needs that encouragement to be taught that this isn't their destiny. Mm-hmm. You got taken off your path for whatever reason you, you got landed here. But I need to be able to tell my story to inspire someone that they could be a difference maker because once I became law certified and became like the powerhouse lawyer you know i had hundreds of families coming up to me at visitation going to see my mom paying her giving her money you know just grateful that they have spent their last in the justice system and laws and their loved one is you know sleeping incarcerated next to me but they have somebody who is smart enough to get their child back in the court get them back into a courtroom where they have a fighting chance and that's part of them thousands and thousands of dollars you know yeah thousands of dollars but there are loved ones right now that are sitting incarcerated and just caught up in the daily life of the prison system that they're so far removed from what they possibly could be using their time wisely for Mm -hmm. so i feel like if they can hear my story they may they may be uh inspired and i did a podcast death of the prison podcast which is a podcast that's on every tablet in the united states it's a uh, free uh, video that the Death of Prison podcast puts out. It will be released sometime within the next 60 days for my complete story, um, for people to know how they can reach me, how they can buy my books, but also to a- encourage and educate people that I was just like you. I left. I slept in the bed. I ate those meals. I got told when to wake up, when to go to sleep. But my life changed, and it's because people pushed me. It's because I had the support and the encouragement and you have the ability to overcome any situation in life. And I speak a lot about being resilient. There are people that's free right now that's currently incarcerated mentally. 
You know, mm-hmm. you got to be able to free them too. And I believe that people have a better, uh, that people have a destiny on their life, whatever, you know, you are called to do. And I don't ever try to get biblical with, with people, but you have the ability to help so many people or to change one person's life. And you can't get to that destiny because you're comf- you're comfortable or you're stuck. But maybe you need somebody to come in your life and tell you that you're good enough, that you, that you have that ability, that you can't overcome those barriers. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people that I did legal work for that got emergency release that, you know, like I did their paperwork and the prison officials were walking down the cell the to come get people and say, look, your paperwork went through. You're being emergency released right now. And just to see the impact of what that has on the individual or like for others to know that this could happen to me, too. And that's just what I fight for. You know, I don't want to see people incarcerated. People commit crimes. I advocate that, hey, if you shot somebody and they gave you 20 years for shooting somebody, you know, hey, man, I understand, you know, that crime happened. I don't understand why it took place, but it occurred. Hey, I understand. But I also understand that our prison systems across the country that put people incarcerated and don't have the evidence to support the conviction. They're innocent. They've been overcharged, aggressively prosecuted. Prosecutors do unethical things and cannot be held accountable for because they, they have a they have a protection clause on them. So I understand the game. But to have children, to have people incarcerated who do not belong there, those are the people I take up the cross for. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly why I started doing what I started doing. When my husband told me his story was originally for me to help him, but then I just realized, like, I can't just help him. It's too many other people in this <laughs> same situation. Like, I got to do more. And so that's what gave me my drive and, and purpose. And I was just like you, like, before I, you know, reconnected with my husband, I never, I was, I mean, I was, Involved in the criminal justice system, like I've been pulled over, you know, for little minor things, but never went to jail like that. So it didn't really, I guess, affect me like that. So I didn't know. I was far out of reach with everything. You know, I'm asking him, well, do y'all have conjugal visits? He was like, no, babe, like we don't have that. <laughs> like that's how far <laughs> out of reach I was when it came to the criminal justice system. And so, you know, just hearing his experience and actually reading paperwork and seeing that there was not enough sufficient evidence at all to convict him off of that just you know like you gave me an obsession to say i gotta there's so i gotta do something to help other people because this is just ridiculous that we are just warehousing people for no reason and we're breaking down communities we're breaking the children down and then they end up being in that same process of going back and forth to prison and so yeah it's like it's just somebody's got to help in this cycle because this cycle been going on way too long it has. And in the next six months, you know, Miss Cobb, I'll be dropping uh, another book into my uh, it's almost like a trilogy. But, you know, to tell the back half of my incarceration and, you know, there's so many things that occur in prison that people don't understand that, uh, that you know, if you're getting a phone call once a week from a loved one, be grateful because in an instant, you know, at wrong time, you know, something bad could happen in there. And that loved one, I've had I've had friends that, you know, be sentenced to prison for two years and, and never make it home and die. And that's, my know, and, that, and that's just the truth of the matter that, you know, this person has a life sentence and, you know, he having a bad day. Everybody around him could have a bad day because he's angry. He know he he's not going home. So, you know, how we house people and putting them in rooms or put them in the same, you know, even that's a little difficult. And I wish the Department of Corrections would look at that. You know, you can't house or give access to people who have different time. Because if I got 27 years and 
I'm, I feel like my life is over with. And this guy's got 18 months. I may honestly have a bad day and want to take it out on him. And that's how the mindset is of people. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, people with a life sentence should be treated differently. I'm just saying they should be housed differently because the respect level, you know, if a person has a life sentence incarcerated, you know, he's thinking like, I don't, I don't give a, you know, a blank about the system. And because of his frustration of being incarcerated, you know, he's liable to have a lot more bad days than somebody with five years. You know, and we want to make sure that those people, you know, who are serving time, make it home. And I've seen hundreds of assaults and bad things go wrong in, in prison where people have died. People have been seriously injured. And I've seen people that's never going to make it home because, you know, they passed away. So, you know, I just, you know, there's so much that can happen with reform. But I try to prevent it. You know, I try to pull people out and I try to do everything I can to protect our children. So I really don't focus so much on the housing or the treatment of, of prisoners. I leave that for other advocacy groups because my, my goal is to prevent it. My goal is to reduce the number of people that are being sentenced to prison every single day. And that's the walk and the fight that I take. But a lot of people who don't know the system or a lot of people who just watch the system online with the TV shows, they don't understand that one bad day, you know, your child could be seriously injured. You know, he, he may come home, but he may have some disabilities coming home or he may have some disfigurement, you know, or, you know, they stopped putting razors in prisons down here in Florida because so many people were getting cut. So, you know, anything can happen. You know, there are weapons in prison, you know, and I never talk about that because I don't try to scare people. But, you know, it is the reality. And, you know, some days it's just hard to make it through. It's just hard to make it through. Well, and yeah, that's and that's that's absolutely true. And that's correct. But it comes from the culture that America has trained their staff to treat people. Now, I just did a podcast on Norway and I actually had I have a colleague named Craig Waleed, Dr. Craig Waleed who actually went to Norway with a group of other people who were formerly incarcerated to see how their prison culture is. It's totally different. Like they treat them like they're humans. They actually have a kitchen. They have living rooms. I, mean, I saw that. You see what I'm saying? So they don't really have that many problems of people being stabbed and, and shot. And, you know, they don't really have that because it's a human humanized. Yes. You see what I'm saying? And so the way we over here, we're putative and militarized. And so that's the reason why when you already have people that's trauma induced and trauma informed. And when they go into a culture like prison in America, it's not going to make anything better. It's going to exacerbate it 10 times worse. Then you're locking people down. And then, you know, what right now I'm advocating for is you have certain wardens and staff that are using charges like A99s to uh, get people off the compound and push them back to closed custody. Now that can make somebody just snap all together. If you if you worked hard to work your custody level down and you get to your mediums and your minimums, and then you have a warden or staff who's mad at you because you're being an you know an advocate, and they use an 899, which is a conspiracy charge, which you can barely even beat in prison, to push you back to maximum custody. That can take somebody's mental. All the way out to make them be like, okay, you know what? Forget this. Like I've done all this work to get where I am, and you want to put up lies on me with the with the confidential informant to send me back to maximum custody? Like that that is what causes the chaos in prison because it's just so chaotic. Your staff is chaotic. The environment is chaotic. It's nothing that is healing about that environment that is rehabilitating anybody. So that 
what I am currently working on is because I get so many letters and so many people reach out to me like, help me. Can you call? Can you see why I can't get medical help? And, you know, like right now, my husband's having an issue with, you know, like what I just just told you about the A99s. They're right. actually taking a group of people and trying to shift them back because they want them off of the compound because they came on the podcast and was exposing the treatment. And a lot of them were just telling their story about how they were wrongfully convicted and got help. And so they were upset that people were actually reaching out to them to give them legal help. So they're trying to punish them in retaliation. So we have to change prison culture in order to change our people. If you want them to be in prison, which I think, I think the whole prison culture needs to change. It doesn't need to be called prison. It needs to be somewhere rehabilitated for people to go and get what they need and come home and be a productive citizen. Because well, go, go ahead. ahead. Because we know that, you know, a lot of people, if you've never had any type of trauma experience, you go to prison, you're going to come out with PTSD, regardless. <laughs> Some type of trauma you're going to come out with when you come from that prison. I don't care if you spend a month, you spend a week, you spend two, three, four, five years, you're going to come home with some type of trauma from prison. Right. And, and, and the thing is, Florida, $7 billion a year revenue for incarceration. Florida used to be an attraction for Disney World, for mm -hmm. snowbirds to come down here and enjoy, you know, Miami Beach, Orlando, Florida, Tampa. Incarceration has now became Florida's number one moneymaker. Wow. So, <laughs> so the days of going to Disney World and coming down here for spring break and all those events that used to bring financial revenue to Florida, prison down here has superseded that. So if it's a $7 billion industry, I can assure you from being a formerly incarcerated man that that money is not put back into the system. There is nothing rehabilitated about being in prison. It is military like it is more confined. It's more of a mental torture mm -hmm. than anything. We're not we're not taking those funds. Seven, seven billion, seven billion. We're not taking those funds and truly putting people back into society to make it. We're just not. You know, Florida, like I read a, an article about San Quentin prison in California. California, how they allowed their prisoners to work, to have jobs online, to to work on the computer, to, you know, try to make a, a, a living. They run a broadcast from on the prison compound that gets aired in Florida. Won't let inmates get on computers. They won't let them make money. They don't they do not pay their prisoners money for work. You know, it is just modern. Y'all don't get paid at all. Y'all yeah, don't get paid at all. Oh, wow. They, they don't get paid at all. Florida. The only the only people who get paid in Florida are uh, like staff canteen people. But the 98, 99 percent of the prison population is not making anything for their, for work. So you'll put them out there in the sun. It's one hundred five degree heat right now. And you'll put them out there and tell them to cut grass, pick up trash, wash dishes, you name it. And will not receive a check. But the thing that I'm trying to say, if it's a seven million dollar industry, you are putting people out of prison right now and who can't get a job, uneducated, not rehabilitated, um, have, have no certificates, nothing to prove for their time. And my question is, is if we're doing that much money and revenue, why not build centers like you're referring to where once a prisoner has reduced their custody, can maybe access a, a true transitional place before they're they're released. Right. That's why nothing. not why why not set them up 
so that they are not a statistics for, you know, for the recidivism number. You know, if you're not educating them, if you're not getting them job ready, you're truly setting them up to come back into the system and be another statistics on recidivism. I mean, but that's the way they want it, because you think about it. You just said seven billion dollars and the industrial prison complex is a billion dollar corporation <laughs> included with the privatized companies that they have, like Union Supply, JPay, GTL. So that's why. JPay money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. They that's need to why. sponsor me. JPay need to sponsor me. They need to yeah, send me a check yeah. and let me put out a video once a month. J, I, I need who can we talk to for that? <laughs> I need GTL too. You hear me? All that money I'm just spending. But I mean, that's why because it's just going, it's circling in one circle. You know what I'm saying? In that prison industrial complex circle, that's where it's circling at. So of course they don't want to put it back in the communities because they know that they can keep people incarcerated, get free labor, and you want, you know, where y'all live at, they don't pay them. I think Georgia's another one. Uh, we pay them, but we pay them like 25, 10 cent an hour. So it ain't really nothing. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for your time. Um, yeah, right. Th thanks for your time. But uh, so that's why, because you can get you. We have a correctional enterprise website and it tells you everything that the people on Cross Reddit make. And they make everything from glasses to furniture to your license plate. Like everything you buy is is what they're making and you're buying it for what whatever they're charging you 10 15 12 13 dollars and they're paying the incarcerated person 25 cents to make that so you think about it you're really getting a lot of product with less money that you're having to pay you see what i'm saying so that's why they don't want to put it back in the communities and make sure people's communities are thriving instead of them saying well let's have everybody be a productive citizen get a job and help build their community they want to keep them warehouse because think they about, want to keep that think, money in there. I agree. Think about this. If I'm the Florida prison system and I make $7 million, $7 billion, Billion, yes. I have enough money to do the statistics and say, you know what? Miami, Florida is a big crime hub. I'm going to take some of that $7 billion and I'm going to invest $100 million in centers in Miami this year. I'm going to invest $100 million so that the children in Miami, instead of picking up guns and robbing people, can go and learn about how to build a website or have a true educational center all around Miami. You $100 million, you have you have enough money to build several centers and, and staff them and pay people. And guess what? That will lower the number of children that's getting arrested in Miami. And then the next year, maybe you move on to Tampa or you move on to Orlando or you move on somewhere else. But you invest that money every year back into the community because guess what? You can have a formerly incarcerated people work there to talk to the children about, hey, you don't want to go down this path. But also other staff members, how to educate them, how to teach them, how to build a website, how to do things, social media. So $7 billion in revenue and you put probably about $1, one billion back in, in into the uh, prison system with you know shirts, boxers, food, and other things that you spend the money on and you profit six. Be that person that's taking seven billion dollars of our taxpayers' money and invest it back into the community, so that way we can truly break the cycle of people going incarcerated. And that's the true matter of it. That's what it is. That's that's exactly what it is. But that know, would be the blueprint. That would be the blueprint for every state to help reduce that is the numbers. The blueprint. They, but they know that though. It's the, you can't <laughs> tell me they don't know these things. This true. Yeah, I know. know I know we running out of time, Ms. Cobb. I wanted to give you uh, a big shout out. Thank you so much. I definitely put it on all my social media platforms for giving me this opportunity to share my story. If more people want to read my books or need help with getting their loved ones out of incarceration, 
You can go to my website, www.walterdunn.com. You know, you can go on LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, my It's Motivational Walt, my Facebook, Walter Dunn, so I can help the people. You know, and I really appreciate your time. I thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experience with the uh, with the audience. Y'all go definitely uh, go to Walter's website and buy his book. I've been posting it on my social media and I've gotten good feedback from it. So yeah, definitely support Walter. Walter, let them know how they can get in contact with you if they want you to come speak, anything. Yeah, I just, you know, I love going around the country sharing my story. You know, I, I think, you know, like I told you guys in the beginning that, I take the money from my book sales to do a lot of my traveling. You know, I try to pay for my own. You know, I'm always looking for sponsorships. Anybody that would like to get behind my cause, you know, they can reach out to me through my website. They can book me to speak on my website. They can make a donation on my website or they can simply just purchase the books to read my story or to send books to their loved ones for you know, for educational purpose to help them get out of their incarceration situation. But I love traveling around, sharing my story. I love challenging people to to be better individuals, to help the cause. I love having empathy with the family members who have people that's incarcerated. I support people, but I am the face of injustice. You know, I can show it to you. I can show you what the system did to me, but I can also show you resilience and how you overcome those situations, how how that, you know, if you believe in yourself that you can achieve anything. And that's just so important. I love what I do. I love connecting with people. I have a big heart for this. And it's about saving families. You know, you can look at my body of work. If you became a Facebook friend, you go type in Walter Dunn and you want to look at all my stuff on Facebook. That's pretty much the main center because my website guy, it takes a while for him to do all my updates. But with, with Facebook, I drop all my stuff on Facebook immediately when I do go th do those things. So, You'll see, you know, I'm a radio host on the weekend. I interview people in our community on how we can help our children, I help our families. And I just enjoy what I do. I love going around helping people. I love sharing my story. I love letting them know that, you know, no matter how bleak their situation looks, that, you know, positive things can happen when you put the right people in your life. Well, thank you, Walter, for being a true advocate and a true freedom fighter, because we need more, y'all. We got that's the only way to change this system is, is to all of us band together and say no more. Enough is enough. It's true. I mean, I appreciate your time, too. You know, I, I, I respect what you do, you know, giving people a voice, a platform to be able to, you know, get their message out there, get their story out there. You know, I think, you know, you do incredible work. I, I looked at some of your past posting, you know, things that you go after. And I think it's in time. You know, if it's not already mainstream now, but in time it will get it will grow bigger. You know, people want to watch things like this. People want to be informed. They want to be educated. You know, as a radio host, when you come on my show, you know, I ask you tough questions. I want to get down to it where you might have to shy away from me. And you better believe once you go off air, you have to answer that question for me. You know, one of the big things that I'm trying to work on right now is trying to get a hold of the Tampa Bay Bucks, which is a, you know, the football team in, in Tampa. They give out $1 million for social justice every year. And not that I want the money. I just want to maybe advise them on how they can spend that money better in our community. You know, when I was telling you about educating our children, you know, it's not about just the football players showing up at the high school and talking to the children. You know, it's about spending the money in our community where we can keep our children in our community. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I think people miss that. Like, I don't want you to just give out a couple t-shirts and give a couple footballs. I, I want you to be. I want to console with you how you can Go spend the money. Boys and girls club. Yeah, you can spend the more the money more effectively 
They keep our children home. And think about all the parents that have to work, don't have time to really dedicate to their children. You know, they have to go to work every day, trusting that their child's going to be safe and come home and won't get in any trouble. But sometimes trouble finds people. Mm-hmm. Wrong place, wrong time. Or, you know, guns are going around. Now they're more accessible. Children are breaking in cars and get them like we want to make sure that our children are safe and grow up and can be productive. And, you know, I would like to work with those type of organizations to try to help them. You know, even if I had to be the person to streamline it. But this is what I think could be more effective. You know, and there's areas like the basketball teams in your area, you know, you know, some of these major players that that have the the capital to do those things, you know, whether you want to give it for a tax writer or not. But can you please help us? You know, you know, if you if you're serious about your community, you know, the incarceration is a part of your community, because guess what? Even if they're incarcerated, they're coming back to your community. So you can either help them now or you can help them later. But if you're preventative, you'll start to change the culture. You'll start to change how people do things in your area. You'll say, you know what? Enough is enough. Like this affects our bottom line too. You know, if I'm getting people robbed at, at, at the game, I'm losing attendance. I'm losing revenue, merchandise. You know, people don't want to support me. You know, and a lot of people do not want to help out until, you know, trouble or crime hits their area. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about this, but now when it hit my doorstep, oh, I'm listening. Right. Right. And if we don't do something now, we ain't gonna have no communities because they always they all gonna be in, in prison. You hear is he I'm serious. Like if we don't do something, we're not gonna have communities because they're all gonna be incarcerated from babies to elder. Like it's that's just what it's it's going to literally now. So we gotta do something different. You know, there was a church sermon I that I shared with you that you know it was a it was a pastor that said, you know, we have to break the generational curses. You know, a lot of these family members that you see that are incarcerated, that go back into incarceration, that keep going through this cycle is because they have that curse on them and they need to be strong enough to 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 go after it and break it. Because if they can't fight that demon, if they surrender, if they give up, they say, you know, I can't do it. That demon is just going to go to their child. And how many more generations does the enemy need to steal from us? How many more generations did the enemy need to put our family and our loved ones incarcerated or put those, you know, bad decisions in our mind? How many generations are we going to let steal from us joyful times and good memories that is truly our destiny? And for people who don't believe that they can overcome their situation, I'm living proof. I'm living proof. You know, I, I not only broke the curse off of my family, you know, it started and ended with me and there will be no more. You know, I will be strong enough not to only protect my children, but to protect other people's children other as well, mm-hmm. because that stuff is real. I believe wholeheartedly in it. But, you know, I want to be a person that makes a difference. And I'm looking for people to help put me in better positions where I can get my story out there, advocate harder, but also lead the charge. You know, I'm not afraid to get on the front line and lead the group. You know, sometimes, sometimes God will take you from the back when he thinks you're ready and put you in the front and tell you that, hey, you need to be the leader. Yeah, it's your time. It's your time. So a lot of the times when I go around and I speak, I I keep that in mind that, you know, if I'm given an opportunity to share my story at a university, it's because God took me from the back of the line and put me in the front so I could be the speaker at this university, educate the children, push them to always be the best they can in the classroom and in the courtroom. But most importantly, know that I'm I'm saving children from them making bad decisions or they'll be able to pass the information out on social media so they don't make, you know, bad decisions as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's why I'm trying to save them all. Babies, <laughs> middle-aged, elderly, I'm trying to save them all. But I don't want none of my people in the prison. Bring them all. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, and I definitely want to extend this to Miss Cobb. If there's ever an opportunity that, you know, there's a platform where I could come up there and speak in front of people or a nonprofit groups or, you you know, I do a lot of that here. You know, there's a lot of panels or, you know, events that come up that people reach out and say, hey, we want you to be a, a keynote speaker. Or we want you to be a, on our panel for discussion. You know, if any of those ever come available, I'm with it. You know, oh, I, right. I can usually if 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 I have it, you know, I swing the cost. If not, you know, usually I try to reach out a couple of the donors who support me. And, you know, say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And usually they help me out with making a flyer or coming up there. But if there's an opportunity for for me to be a speaker somewhere and you need somebody to be able to come and tell uh, my story or advocate hard, uh, I look for those opportunities. I, I, I love hitting the road. I love connecting with new people. And, you know, it's, it, it brings me gratification knowing that, you know, I can give good information to people. To people. And I will, we will definitely probably use you with Emancipate because I know we do a lot of CLE classes for the students, the law students. And I know we just got confirmation that we will be teaching high school students to the end of the year. I'm just trying to prepare them, you know, for the future and try to prepare them how to better protect themselves out here in the community from police and just, you know, from incarceration period. But yeah, we'll talk more about that offline, most definitely. But once again, Walter, I appreciate you so much. You know, Blacklight listeners, support Walter's book. Go buy it. If, like I said on my Instagram and everything else, if you have a loved one that's incarcerated, you definitely need that book. If they're wrongfully convicted, you definitely need that book. <laughs> so go get it. <laughs> go get it. Go get it. Send it to everybody and share it. And please support Walter on his journey to basically end mass incarceration. All right. Y'all be safe. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.